0: I share with you when I believe God's has placed on my heart, I would like to begin with a prayer for us all. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures and for the passage you want us to read and reflect upon tonight. May your message to us be received fully and that nothing distracts us from your word. Lord, take away the things that may be troubling our hearts and minds at the moment We want to meet with you. Let our ears hear you. Let our minds be open to the challenges that you will set before each one of us. Soften our hearts, Lord, so that we can freely receive your outrageous love and grace. Lord, I pray that we come to you open and free, with the expectation of meeting with you, and to allow the Holy Spirit to move within us to transform us, and to draw us closer to you. Amen. Amen. One time, whilst I was traveling along a dusty pothole-ridden road in Kenya, I noticed a bumper sticker on a vehicle which read, If your Bible is in tatters, then your life isn't. It made me smile, but I liked the underlying message. Here are some more that may make you smile, but may also mean something to you. Give God what's right, not what's left. Man's way leads to a hopeless end. God's way leads to endless hope. A lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. Kindness is difficult to give away because it keeps coming back. Worry is the dark room in which the devil develops negatives. Deciding not to choose is still making a choice. And finally, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Some of these sayings may have made you smile and think, but what do you think of when I say the word grace? Did you think it's a title for a duke or a duchess or even an archbishop? It's a person's name, an effortless beauty or charm, a disposition to be generous or helpful, a short prayer of blessing or thanksgiving said before a meal, or even the hymn. Amazing grace. Yet did any of us think of God's grace? Grace is getting positively what we don't deserve as we deserve to be condemned, and yet God lavishes His love and his goodness upon each one of us. Let's look at the passage in Luke, which clearly demonstrates God God's outrageous grace. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Luke 23 verses 32 to 43, but you may wish to look at the words which will appear on the screen behind me, like that. I am reading the New International Version. And here we actually find in this passage that Jesus has been sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate and is actually being crucified on the cross. Two of the men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. The very first time when I had read what Jesus' response was to the thief who had asked to be remembered by him, it really hit me and literally took my breath away. His response was not, Yes, I will remember you, but he said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Just imagine for one moment what the thief would have thought when he heard those words from Jesus as he was dying on that cross in such terrible pain. Do you think he was expecting that response? I don't think so. I think the thief was expecting Jesus to condemn him just as the law had found him guilty of a crime that he had committed. Jesus has given this thief, this condemned sinful man, a promise a promise that he would join him in paradise. Such love, such amazing grace. I like what um, drighton al Moody thought. He puts it like this. He says, Lord tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. Jesus also tells the thief, I tell you the truth. So we know it's no lie because Jesus is the truth and always will be. Never did Jesus lie, compromise or deceive to make his point. There was reassurance of such love from the Son of God for this dying condemned man. How incredible, amazing grace. This man, despite a life full of sin, comes to Jesus and seeks forgiveness in his last mortal moments. He confesses his guilt and casts himself on Jesus' mercy and saving power. Luke could not have painted a clearer portrait of God's amazing grace. And even in Jesus' final earthly moments, he is with sinners, saving them right until his final breath. Such outrageous grace. About a year ago, sitting in our kitchen, were three guests at our table table, sharing copious amounts of cake. These three men had been saved and had given their lives to the Lord after a life of violence, crime, drugs and terrorism. These guests were also showing testimonies of how God had saved the most unlovable and condemned people as deemed by our society. As I was sitting there with them, I was immediately reminded of the following passage in Matthew 8, verse 11, which says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What joy filled my heart to see that these men had accepted Jesus into their lives and are actively going out into the world to talk of such outrageous grace which was outpoured upon them by God, and that one day we will together sit at that banquet table in heaven, our own paradise. I'd like you to watch the following clip. examples of God's outrageous grace. But I'm concerned that as Christians we are not necessarily truly understanding and accepting fully this free gift from God. I read these thoughts by David Simmons, who is a counsellor. He summed up his career this way. Many years ago I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And the failure to give out what—sorry, give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe in a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. And equally challengingly, Gordon MacDonald says, the world can do almost anything as well as, or even better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Where else can the world go to find grace? Are we truly accepting this free gift of grace and truly putting grace into action? What would we look like if we fully accepted the message that we were forgiven by God because of Jesus dying on that cross for our sins? Would we look different? What would we say? What would we do? How would we live? Recently I felt challenged as I asked myself, how different would I be if I fully accepted this amazing gift of grace? Would I be different to how I am now? To be honest too, so you to can be honest. My answer would be yes. I would be different to what I am at this moment in time. I accept that I am on the journey, but I do know I need to show more grace to others. It challenged me. Does it challenge you? I'm reminded of when I was on holiday. I observed this magician who would wonder about the hotel complex, and every now and then he would open his magic box and perform some sort of magic wonder before an audience which had people and children in awe. However, I noticed that on most days he was just aimlessly wandering about with the said box. He would sit down on his own for a while with his magic box in his lap and then saunter about when he got bored of just sitting around doing nothing. He wasn't approaching anyone, even though he knew that what he could do and what he knew would amaze and startle everyone. Well, we like that at times. We know what Christ has done for us. But do we hold back and not share this amazing gift of grace? Let us go and live out this grace. For the world so needs it, just as we needed God's grace. In the passage from Luke, I'm blown away by what Jesus says in verse 34. But Jesus asks God to forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Such love, such forgiveness, such amazing grace. The rule in verse 35, are said to acknowledge what Jesus had said, so he had saved others and challenged Jesus to save himself. So you see, they knew of his works, they knew he saved, but they could not accept him as being the Messiah. Jesus did not save himself. He came to save you, to save me, to save all who believe. In the book of Matthew, it says that whilst Jesus was on the cross, he was offered wine to drink that was mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Later, he was offered a sponge on a stick that was soaked in just wine vinegar and had no gall added. This he did drink. This is prophesied by David in Psalm 69:21, where it says, "They also gave me gall for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink." Apparently, gall was added to the wine as it had narcotic properties so as to deaden the severe pain for those who were being crucified. Yet Jesus refused to take it. He was not prepared to take the easy way out. He endured the pain fully, fully for us. His death on the cross was the full ransom paid to release a slave, to release you, to release me. He did not shortchange us. He knew the price and he paid it fully. Do we shortchange him? The truth is we know that to follow him is going to cost us dearly. But do we hold back and not give fully of ourselves to God because of what it will cost us? The response we can make to God's grace is to confess our sins and freely accept the fact that Jesus paid for it so we wouldn't have to. This is the greatest act of genuine love in history. I once heard someone say, if you were the only person in the world, then Jesus still would come and save you. He would still die for you on that cross. Do you believe that? I suspect that John Newton, the notorious slave trader who gave his life to Jesus in a raging storm on the high seas knew he was forgiven and that God's grace had set him free. Before he accepted Jesus into his life he himself had brought much suffering to many innocent people. Yet God forgave him and John Newton truly knew and accepted that. Let's just watch one final clip. It's actually from the film Amazing Grace. And in this scene, you will see William Wilberforce enter the room as the scribe is writing down John Newton's confession.
1: Five of yours. She's given me an appetite. An uh, appetite, to change <laughs> This is my confession. You must use it. Names. Ships records. Ports. People. Everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading. I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in a boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts. They all had names. Beautiful African names. We called them with just grunts. Noises. We were apes. They were you are <laughs> we I couldn't weep till I was this. <sighs> I once was blind, but now I see. Did I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Wilbur. We've lots of work to do. You know. Strange treasures in this fair world of here. As you
0: heard in that. Lip, Newton said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Saviour. He un- understood so well God's grace, the completely undeserved mercy and favour of God. Newton's uh, tombstone reads John Newton Clark, once an infidel libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, Preserved, restored, pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. Her life truly transformed by grace. was in Kenya, working in an orphanage, my friend had had a difficult time and was feeling wretched and said she wouldn't go to church because she didn't feel like him. At that precise moment in time, at the side of the road to the church, we saw a lady that we knew crawling along in the dirt. She has polio and her body is twisted and distorted due to this terrible disease. She cannot walk, so she crawls everywhere in the dirt amongst the rocks and the rubbish. She had crawled nearly five miles to go to church that morning. She does this every week. And she wants to learn about the God who sent his only son to die for her, and she wants to praise him. Such love. Her name defines her well, for she is called Grace. Philip Brooks said, Do not pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then a doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life, which has come to you by the grace of God. Some days I attend a church service in a local prison, and today I was actually at this church. After the service, the prisoner told me of his love for Jesus Christ. Tears rolled down his cheeks as he spoke. Then he rolled up one trouser leg. He revealed a knee that was grazed with fresh blood amongst the scabs that were also there. I asked him how he had done this, and he said that it's because he prays on his knees on the concrete floor in his cell. For most of the day and into the night and he prays for the prisoners, prison officers and chaplains in that prison, hence the wounds on his knees. Still crying, he said he would pray for me and my family as he was led back to his cell. Another time a different prisoner shared with me that he had been in prison for 33 years. He came to know Jesus in the first year of serving his sentence. For 32 years, he has been praying for revival in that prison. He stood beside me as we all sang, Shine, Jesus, Shine. And I could hear that he had actually changed the words so that he would sing, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Fill this prison with the Father's glory. Blaze, spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood this prison with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Such faith and such grace shown by both men. Both have a passion for many souls to be set free in that the most darkest of places. I praise the Lord for that. A chaplain also shared with me today how a lady once told him she was glad that Jesus had chosen her as she would not have chosen him. So our challenge is this. Do we really accept God's grace and forgiveness? And do we want others to receive this gift and be in awe of our almighty God? Jesus saw grace everywhere. He never analysed or defined grace and almost hardly ever used the word. Instead, he communicated grace through stories as we know as parables. So may your life from this moment speak of outrageous grace. I will end with the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who said, Forgiveness is not just an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. What greater gift could Christians give to the world than the forming of a culture that upholds grace and forgiveness? Every one of these here tonight is here because of God's grace. Let us take this moment, sorry, to reflect on this and to give thanks to God for he he is worthy to be praised. He is the almighty God, who gave his only son to die for us so that we may truly live. Let us not take this free gift of grace lightly, let us truly receive it, and let us give it freely to others. Now I encourage you to have a moment of prayer. If you feel that you want to pray out loudly and give thanks to God, please feel free to do so.